Hello and welcome to another episode of Hashtag Disruption Dialogues, a Markets and Markets podcast series for growth-minded strategy, market intelligence and competitive intelligence professionals. Today, our host Pranjal Sharma is in discussion with Tim Last. Hello and welcome to another episode of Disruption Dialogues. I'm Pranjal Sharma. I'm an author based in New Delhi, India. And I'm in discussion with Tim Last, Divisional President at Atlas Corp for Speciality Rental Division. Thanks, Tim, for joining us today. Pranjal, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm uh, looking forward to it. So we have the theme of uh, utility as a service and emerging models for sustainable production to discuss with Tim. It sounds like quite a mouthful and I'm depending on Tim to tell us more about what this means and how it is important for businesses and the corporate world. Now, what's the best way to understand the concept, Tim? Well, maybe it's best to just take a small step back and uh, just talk about what the traditional model is for investing in capital equipment and then maybe what the future model could be, in our view at least. So um, if we go back to to the traditional model, an organization would like to uh, buy a capital piece of equipment. It's normally a very expensive piece of equipment. It's normally depreciated over a long period of time. And some person in that organization has the impossible job of trying to select a piece of equipment that is supposed to provide or supply demand for 20 years, the life of the equipment and predict how the demand from that organization will change over 20 years, which is also more or less impossible. So with a system or with a piece of equipment that's very relevant and perfect on day one and becomes less and less relevant and less and less optimized and less and less efficient as each year goes by. What we're saying or what we believe is that it would be better if an organization were to take a more variable solution from an organization like us, which is perfect on day one, but can also flex and change and evolve with the organization. So as demand changes, as technology changes, so does the solution, which means it remains as relevant after one year, five years, 20 years, as it was on day one, which brings a tremendous amount of uh, energy savings and uh, efficiency. This is really, uh to also ensure that the changes which are happening in terms of uh, technology, the rapid deployment of new concepts are factored in and people don't get locked into something which is uh, history. And as we know, we are making history very fast. Uh, Level and speed of obsolescence is very high. Is that a key uh, driver? Yeah, very much. I mean, everything is becoming far more variable. So business cycles are more variable, changes in demand go up and down to greater degrees, technology is being developed ever more quickly. So I think buying very expensive assets and having them on the balance sheet becomes more risky. I mean, you don't have the agility that you might like on your balance sheet and you run the risk that you invested a lot of money on something that's that's gonna become irrelevant more quickly than its life. So. I think the faster things change and the more variable the demand and the greater the economic variability, the more interesting these kinds of uh, variable and flexible solutions become. Any examples that you could share, Tim, which are perhaps ahead of the curve and which are going to define the way going ahead? Yeah, we've got a couple. We're still pioneering these solutions, so it's not something that we've been doing for like the last 20 years. So we're really on the the edge here trying some new things. But two examples that we've been working on recently, 
the first one in uh, China. This particular organization has had a very large compressed air system for a, a very long period of time. It's come to the end of its natural life. But rather than just change it for a newer version, they've come to us and basically said, we would like you to design the best system you possibly can. And we'd like you to keep it as efficient as you can for the next 20 years. But we will pay you not based on what you bring to site. We will pay you based on the amount of energy saving you will generate for us over that 20 years compared to what we had in the previous version. So we are very motivated as an organization to continuously make that solution super efficient because the more efficient we make it, the better more we get paid. And they're also extremely motivated to do this because they will consume much less energy and energy is going up in price and they want to be a more sustainable organization. So it means that they win and we win at the same time. And also carbon footprint will reduce dramatically. This is as much about changes in technology and uh, new developments as about sustainability. Are there specific outcomes that you can talk about in terms of what you refer to? the impact on the carbon footprint? I mean, are there any numbers or early results that you could share? It's probably a little bit early for that. And of course, it depends on starting point. Each organization's starting point is a little bit different. Basically, our aim at the moment, and we believe that we can fulfill this aim, is to be able to provide a significantly greener solution, keeping costs for the organizations the same, despite having a much newer and better system. I think there is a perception right now that building sustainable solutions and that modernizing so that you have a, you know, you can become carbon neutral is a very costly exercise. But we believe for the things that we do, we can not only neutralize the carbon, we can neutralize the cost as well. There is no reason why a company needs to pay much more money to become more carbon friendly. I think there are just clever ways to do it by optimizing the energy use predominantly. This is actually quite brilliant, Tim. I think you may have just coined a phrase, which is less carbon at less cost. And I think that's going to be quite a winning strategy uh, as we go ahead, because you know, it is going to be the mantra for success. And it's not just about Atlas Cop for the, the innovations that you're doing, but I think it's the world that needs it and the world of business and manufacturing. Would it also, I mean, this is not just about one sector. Uh, I, I would assume that you are referring to a variety of industries where uh, similar utility as a service model can be applied. It, yeah, exactly. This goes across all kinds of different industrial segments um, and all kinds of different technologies. And one of the challenges we have is to increase the number of technologies we have available for our customers and to be the masters of those technologies so, so that we're completely useful for all these different customers and they don't need to go to 10 different vendors for 10 different technologies. They can just come to us and we can provide all of them. But it's a bit more than that, actually, because when you're the master of the technology, as we aim to be, you can start to find synergies between the technologies. So, for instance, imagine we are looking after the compressed air system and the steam and cooling system. There's a lot of waste heat generated by compressors, but we can potentially take that heat and use it in a clever way to reduce the amount of energy required by the steam boiler to produce the steam the organization needs. 
And if there is too much steam provided, we can put that into a turbine and turn that steam back into power. So by using one organization like ourselves that is the master of many technologies, not only is the technology individually advanced and efficient, we can gain efficiencies by connecting the technologies together and using the waste from one to help power the next. Is scale a factor over here, Tim, in the sense that are these solutions for large manufacturing and engineering units, or do you see that it could be applied in smaller units too? Because in many parts of the emerging economies, including in India, where I am, a large part of the manufacturing is through this huge vendor ecosystem, which works with a large organization. So low cost, low carbon uh, principles would be equally important there. I mean, it's always interesting with these very large installations with megawatts of power. I mean, you know, everybody dreams of these great, huge projects, but I think we can be equally as relevant for an organization that maybe has just tens of people with maybe a hundred kilowatts of installed power. I think we already actually have a lot of technology that we can use on these very small installations and also the large ones. So no, I think we can apply this, this, this concept perfectly well to much smaller organizations as well to much larger ones, no problem. What are the technologies which are enabling this? For example, IoT is, is considered, or industrial IoT is considered very important. Basically, you have a sensor on really everything. Um, are, are there specific innovations that you have done at the Atlas Copco to, to bring a new configuration and a new uh, solution? Yeah. Absolutely. You're right, of course. Almost all of our equipment now has some kind of connectivity. I mean, the big fancy machines with the controls, that's a bit of a no-brainer, you can probably imagine. But we're even putting connectivity on far less sophisticated pieces of equipment, like fuel tanks. So what we're trying to do is make sure that we know all the inputs to an installation. The ambient temperature, the fuel levels, the electrical inputs, everything basically and we're also trying to measure all of the outputs how much demand is there from the system how much air or vacuum or steam are we producing at what temperature with what quality so we're trying to continuously measure input versus output now that's not super difficult i suppose but where we've really invested a lot of time and energy is to build with our many years of experience simulators which work out in real time what would be the optimum performance for the situation we're seeing now for these inputs versus these outputs. So we can see pretty much continuously, is this installation on the bullseye, on the energy bullseye, yes or no? And if it's not, what has to change in order to get it back? And it could be very small changes. It can be some parameters. It can be a slightly a small difference in control, something like that. Or it might be something bigger where we need to change the configuration of a machine or add extra equipment on site. But the point is that it, we first have to collect the data using IoT, like you say, and then we have to simulate how we use that data to then work out how we also get the most out of the installation. And now it's still a bit too manual. In time, over these next months, maybe years, we will be using much more AI to be able to predict what will happen in the future. And we can even include more data, for instance, data from the customer's own system, which is much more um, leading data and then we can even predict what the future will do so that we can mobilize activity a week two weeks even months in advance to to keep that energy and that optimization right on the bullseye 
and this could be for not just the main installation but affiliate installations as well basically in anywhere where we can connect or, or get hold of the right data and with equipment that we are experts at so as, as long as we can collect the data and we know about the technology that then this applies so for example uh, an entity could have five manufacturing units across five different geographies well, not only could you collect data from one unit but you could potentially get it from everyone each of those but also have them at a at a consolidated way as well yes that's relatively straightforward we can even take it a step further actually because then we can benchmark for that organization between one plant and another to show where there are best practices and where there are further optimizations possible but even better we can take that total industry as a whole and say to our customers this is where you are the total industry is here you're this much better than everybody else or you have this much more to do to catch up with everybody else so that we can help customers understand where they are in the bigger picture no that's brilliant uh, i think because referencing and and measuring against uh, peer groups uh, against best practices and even setting the benchmarks for best practices is very uh, what you're referring to I think the main question here uh, and I'm going to ask you a basic question is uh, this is a dialogue on disruption what is the disruption that is happening here uh, do you see if any fundamental changes in the models taking place in the next 3 to 5 years and if so what would those be and really the conversation we also want to do with you Tim is to to tell business leaders and decision makers what should they be prepared for what should they do to ensure that these kind of changes can be better implemented. Well, Atlas Copco in general has been an organization that's flourished on selling fantastically advanced equipment and then servicing that equipment for the customers so that it works for a very long time. It's a long life equipment that works perfectly for its whole life. This has been our model. We've been very successful with it and we still are today. Now of course we're talking about maybe not buying so much new equipment instead offering variable solutions where customers don't own the equipment anymore they get the equipment on site from Atlas Copco but instead they pay for its use or they pay for the advantage it brings them so this is highly disruptive and there's a certain amount of risk i suppose but in the end i think we would rather disrupt ourselves than have someone come and disrupt us so th- this is the The, the way we're thinking now of course nothing's going to change overnight and uh we have to start in a modest way but we need to really try to convince organizations that there are really good alternatives to simply owning and servicing your own equipment where energy becomes more and more important and sustainability is more important and carbon footprint is more important and balance sheet agility is more important there may be owning equipment that just helps your organization but is not core doesn't make so much sense anymore and maybe these variable solutions is a much smarter way to go and i think that because of the optimizations we can get or organizations can get from that that's why becoming carbon neutral doesn't have to necessarily cost more money and finally referring to what you just said what is the you know when you have these conversations what is the point at which you know you can see that they are convinced what is the winning pitch that you see or you have noticed in your few conversations last few conversations i think it's not so much what 
we say that makes a difference, it's who we say it to. So when we are able to explain what we're trying to do to senior people in organizations, to the, the team that's responsible for the sustainability targets, it doesn't take very long before they're very, very interested in, in this kind of solution and what it can bring and how it can work. So it's quite straightforward. The problem is when we talk to our more traditional speaking partners on the, the floor of these organizations, they're still thinking in their traditional paradigms in the way that it's always been. Uh, and then that, that's the difficult part. So it's, it's trying to convince both ends. Of course, we talk about this to all levels of all organizations, but as soon as we start explaining what we're trying to do and how it can work to to the more corporate levels to the to the areas as i say who are more focused on the sustainability then the conversation goes very quickly perfect thanks Tim. i think uh, conversation goes quickly and then uh, uh, i think the implementation would also be very rapid but this is very exciting uh, to know and it's very positive for me and i'm sure for our listeners because we tend to get a lot of negative news about the action on climate change but the work that you are doing to atlas copco is doing i think is very promising and it gives a lot of optimism for industry and consumers and citizens to look forward to so thanks for sharing these thoughts and examples it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for having me on your podcast and thank you to everybody who had tuned in i was in conversation with tim last divisional president at atlas copco specialty rental division I hope you learned uh, something interesting from this. Please do stay tuned for more such conversations on Disruption Dialogues. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Disruption Dialogues. If you are a strategy or market intelligence professional, we invite you to join our community on LinkedIn, Hashtag Disruption Dialogues.